So I want to uh, tag before I um, begin just a little bit of, um, of our gospel reading. Um, it, it's a tough text. I'm, I'm not afraid of it, um, but I do want to move to Hebrews as my primary text. And uh, I want to say this, and I think you all know this, um, maybe not our younger people yet, but if we follow the Lord faithfully, and I'm talking about all of his ways, um, his mercy, his kindness, his forgiveness, his perseverance in the midst of persecution and those who disagree with us, just the whole gamut of the gospel, um, there will be conflict. There'll be conflict sometimes with our friends, sometimes in the midst of our family, sometimes in our church and our community. Um, can I get an amen on that? So that's all I really want to say about that. Um, I do want to say this, that that last verse that Dan read for us, can you discern the times? And so I want to take just a brief moment before I get into Hebrews, and I just want to share with you where we've been um, this past 12 months, primarily financially, but, um, but also just in, in corporately as a body. Um, the reason I want to do this is we made a decision to go to a fiscal year beginning July 1st and ending in the end of June. And the reason being is that we found it hard to be faithful to plan ahead when 40% of the support that we give to the church comes in December. And, and thus, preparing in October, November for what we're going to do the following year was, was like betting on the come, if you know what I mean. I'm not a betting man, but you know what I mean by that? And so if we decided if we waited until July 1st, then we would kind of know. And, and so we have. And it's, it's really changed a lot of things. It doesn't change the fiscal year for our giving as far as taxes go. Um, so here it is. Here, and because of that, we also do the parish report in January. And thus, one of the primary parts of the parish report is our budget. And since we did that in January, we hadn't done our budget yet. Um, you have no idea what our budget is, all right? Have y'all lost interest yet? <laughs> Hang with me. I think this is really important, and I want to use it as a metaphor for discerning the times and the challenges, I believe, is before us, all right? So just real quick, um, this past year, due to our generosity, due to us taking what God has entrusted in us and giving a portion to the life of the church, um, we were able to do three primary things. Primarily was our outside giving. We had, we, we had promised 5% to our diocese, our regional church, which they operate on a shoestring budget. Their annual budget is less than our church. So these, most of the people that are on staff at our diocesan level, as well as the programs, they are bivocational. They have other jobs, okay? So we give 5% of, of what we give goes to automatically. Tithes and offering every month, 5%. If it's $50, then we, we send them five. I mean, we send them 250, but it's obviously more than that. Um, then we also give another 5% out um, to outreach, mission and everything. And that made up what we considered 10%. I know this is not exciting, but hang with me. We decided, based upon what God is doing here, to increase our outside giving to 10%. And so thus, we're giving 15% of everything we put um, in our offering outside. That's exciting to me. All right? We made that decision in March because prior to that, um, we had retired an additional $226,000 in, in principle, and we retired our mortgage debt. 
Isn't that amazing? So um, we have zero mortgage debt. Um, the other thing we did is we set up a three-month reserve um, based upon talking to other churches, talking to our leadership of our diocese for operational expenses. So that, those three things are in place as we moved into 2022 and 2023. This is what our budget looks like, and you'll see that at our report um, next January. Any of you who are interested, just come by the church. It's all available. We're not hiding anything. You're welcome to look at it. We increased our outside giving. Our minimum is going to be 5% to the diocese, 10% outreach. But because of what we believe we're going to get this year, we increased our outside, our total giving to 18%. That's exciting. Um, and so we also created a fund from cash on hand um, to cover existing capital needs. And we have a lot of them. This church was built in 2009, primarily out of wood. A lot of it was reclaimed wood. It needs a lot of help. Um, unfortunately, as you can see, we're re-skinning re is what I called the outside with Hardy Board and the group, the, the con subcontractors quit. And so our contractor is scrambling to get a new sub. That's why we've got stuff everywhere. Pray for that. Pray that the Lord will send us somebody that wants to finish this project, okay? So we've created that fund. Uh, we're not asking for any more. The generosity, we, we basically reduced our, our operational cost. We could have gone way high. We reduced it so that we could do these kinds of things and be faithful with what God has entrusted us. The third thing we did, uh, we gave across the board our staff a 6% increase. We have, we have increased some of our younger staff. Mark and I have pretty much been leveled, and I'm not, I'm not a martyr. I'm, not, I'm just telling you, for about five years. Uh, we have been given bonuses and things like that, but that's exciting stuff. There are two other things we're going to do with that that I'll, I'll say for another time. That is huge, you know, and it comes from this congregation's understanding that 100% of what we have is the Lord's. And he entrusts us how we give it, how we care for our families, how we provide for their educational needs. All those things are part of it, as well as how we support the ministry of this body of Christ. So I wanted to give you that because I believe discerning that we're in a new season as a family. Um, and I believe I'm not counting sickness. We have sickness just like anybody. It doesn't matter whether you've got a lot of resources or none. Sickness happens. So, yes, we're struggling with that. Yes, there's conflict in relationship. But as far as our needs, we are in a season of abundance. Right? And I'll tell you this. When you have abundance, the temptation to sin is great. When you don't have much, it's hard to find time to sin, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there was a time, and there's some of you who served on the veteran, we had a dollar and you can't really be unfaithful with a dollar, but you can be unfaithful with a lot. And so my prayer, and I'm going to share this later, is that we become faithful um, with what God has entrusted to us. All right? So that's kind of my, uh, my opening, my parish report. Um, let me have a word of prayer for us. Uh, Lord God, we are so grateful for calling us to be your people, uh, for the grace that you just pour out over and over and over again. 
And Lord, we want to discern the times, not only for our, our body collectively, but for our individual lives and um, for our children, Lord, for our, for our aging uh, members, Lord. How do we remain faithful and help your kingdom flourish when there's both birth and death in our midst and all points in between? So, Lord, we seek you and we trust you. For as your word tells us, you are the founder and perfecter of our faith. Amen? Amen. All right, so hopefully this will be a little bit more exciting, all right? So as I was reading over um, our text today, if you got a Bible with you, you can open up to the 12th chapter of Hebrews. Um, the first verse, the first word in that um, chapter, which it wasn't written in chapter and verse, y'all know that, right? When the Bible was written, they didn't have chapter and verse. It was just a letter. And this word says, therefore. And if it says, therefore, what does that mean you've got to do? You've got to look at what was before. And so all of chapter 11, which Taylor unpacked for us last week, is what they call the hall of faith. And it talks about all these people who lived in faith. And my definition of faith um, is this. Um, faith is, being, is having an active response, an active response to the promises of God. God makes a, a promise and then we actively respond, living as if that promise um, is a reality, even though we haven't um, received the promise, right? And it goes on more than, it's more than believing in a promise, but it's living towards the promise. Um, it's, it's diving in and trusting in the hope that comes. And the irony of chapter 11, I'll just read two verses in chapter 11. These, all these people who were committed for their faith, they all died in faith. This is verse 13 of chapter 11, not having received the things promised. Isn't that interesting? They died in faith, not having received the things that were promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Isn't that interesting? And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. So basically, if I had to just kind of do a quick understanding of that, what it says to me is there's the promise and the chances of me receiving it are pretty slim. But that doesn't mean it's not true. And God's not faithful. And I shouldn't live as if that promise is coming. All right. So then in verse 39, towards the end, and all those having been commended for their faith did not receive what was promised. And then the text goes on. So I'm, I'm not trying to be a downer here because we do receive things promised. You know, I have five grandchildren. There might be a time when I pass Father Mark in numbers. You know, that hadn't been promised, but I'm hoping for it, you know. So my point is that there are some, some real, real things that God promises that are there that we won't achieve until the kingdom of God is fulfilled. Amen. And one of that is full reconciliation full perfection. Jesus is a pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Um, the saints are not. As wonderful and inspirational as all the saints are, they're not the perfecter of our faith. They're merely an inspiration. So I just want to make three quick observations. The first one is this. Therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside and run. Surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Yes, 
all those in chapter 11, but I also think everyone from that point, even up to now, are our witnesses. And they're inspirational for us. They might be people that you know now that are inspiration, people that had, had an impact on your life that has died, but they are our cloud of witnesses. But it, interesting enough, it says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin. What is that about? And what I realized as I read this, that there's no I um, and them in this. It's all we and us. And so my first takeaway is this, is we're doing this together. The, the life of the following Christ is, is a corporate thing. It was never meant to be done alone. We run this race with others, if you will. And the word race actually is conflict. Um, that's the word Paul uses that um, same word in places throughout his epistles. Talks about the conflict he is. And conflict can only be faced and overcome when we do it what? You know the answer. Together. Um, if we try to do it alone, um, we're going to fail. So we lay aside every weight and sins that's so closely linked like them. And if you want to know some of them, just kind of read. Read about chapter 11. What was the sin that Abraham faced? What was the sin that Sarah faced? What was the sin of Abel? What was the sin of, and the list goes on. Those are the same sins that we face. Nothing new under the sun. We don't face anything that hadn't been faced by the people of God from generation to generation. Um, and so I say that because I think it's, I know for me at times when I'm struggling with something, then my thought is, you know, nobody understands. I'm in this alone. You know, at, at our 8 o'clock service, um, Deb and, and Eric Roos, um, a couple in our congregation, those of you might not know them if you don't come to the 8 o'clock, both of them were, um, were determined to have cancer at the same time. And both really difficult journeys for them. Um, and it's so easy for them to say, nobody can understand. Um, but I will tell you, you talk to them, they understand the only way for them to run this race is to run it with you and run it with the people of God. Um, and so we lay aside um, these weights and sin was so closely clinging. And then we read, if you, let me read it again. We lay it aside so that we can run the race with others. All right. Um, we can run with endurance for we do not do this alone, um, but we do it alongside one another. You get it? You know, I cannot express enough how important this is that we're not alone in this journey. We often find ourselves retreating, I know I do, um, shutting others out from my own struggle, perhaps out of shame, perhaps out of fear, perhaps out of rejection or maybe insecurity. You know, I want everybody to think I, I got it together, I got this. Um, the race is better run. Uh, when we run it together. Um, and we run it with endurance because we got others running with us. So more importantly, second point, um, we don't just run it because of the inspiration of the saints. Taylor was real clear about this. These folks who go before us are not perfect. And thus we can be, if you will, considered faithful, not because of our perfection and faithfulness, but because of God's faithfulness. And so verse, the second point I want to make Chapter of verse two says, we then look to Jesus, who's the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the New American Standard on Virgin, which I used to read um, some years ago, it says, fix our eyes on Jesus. Um, this translation says, looking to Jesus. It adds a preposition, and it, it's more than just looking at Jesus and then going about and then looking back at Jesus. It's looking to Jesus, which means if we're looking to Jesus, what are we not looking at? We're not looking at other things. Um, I found a great a quote from one of the, of the great 19th century preachers, Charles Spurgeon, and listen to what he said. When we look to Jesus, we're looking not to the saints around us. We're not looking for their inspiration, even though they might be inspirational. And we're not looking on the weight and the besetting sins uh, that have beset us. In other words, if, if we put off our sins, then what are we not to do? We're not to look at them again. Um, those of you who've been around heard me quote this a lot. Uh, Corey Ten Boone, she used to say about our sins, our sins are in a pond over here, and God has placed a sign. And you know what that sign says? No fishing. Quit fishing in those besetting sins that you've laid aside. Um, look to Jesus. He's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And Spurgeon goes on and says, don't even look upon the race course or the competitors. How often, how easy it is to compare ourselves to other people, um, students, you started school again. There are going to be some amazing people in your class. And some of them are going to be more amazing than you as far as the things they do. Um, don't compare yourself. You know, if you look at our tag that we have, um, Jim, you back there, grab one of those tags. This is going on our book bags. And what does it say on it? Not the, not the coded emblem. What does it say? Be loved, be kind, and be you. Not somebody else, but be you. So look at, not upon the race or the competitors, but look to Jesus and then start the race because he is the founder and perfecter of our faith, all right? And then the third thing, and my last point before I talk about our challenges, consider Jesus. And what does it mean to consider Jesus? When we find ourselves flagging in our faith, when I find myself flagging in my faith and ready just to kind of give up the race, um, consider Jesus. Go over the story over and over and over again. His story, his faithfulness, his sacrifice, his forgiveness, his love, his mercy, his grace. Um, I meant to ask you, Betsy, to read verse 15 of the reading. Let me read it for you. Um, after it says, verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Then verse 15 says this, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Isn't that amazing? And then it goes on and says this, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Isn't that beautiful? So as we run this race and we consider Jesus, he never withheld the grace of God to anyone. He stayed with us and he stayed with us and he stayed with us. He never gave up on us. 
Consider Jesus. Go over the story. Don't lose the truth that God never gives up on us. Amen? Okay, so here's two challenges for us. We are getting older. Anybody getting older? Raise your hand. Um, and we're also getting younger. We have an amazing amount of children that God has entrusted to us to care for. How are you going to be faithful with us? It's a challenge. It's a challenge because it demands our time. Um, we've had our grandchildren with us for three weeks now. It demands a lot of time. <laughs> what do you do with your, your agenda when you have three children, grandchildren hanging out? You just pretty much throw it out the window. Um, our children need us. Your children need me. Um, they need you. We need to do this collectively as a body. It's going to be a challenge. Um, our space physically is tight. So one of the things we're going to be doing is discerning how can we deal with our infrastructure. We are considering um, a, a, sanct a permanent sanctuary, but until we do that, we want to make sure our infrastructure is faithful enough to care for and instruct one another in the faith. Amen? So we're doing that. Um, the other thing, and I think this is the biggest, is, and I mentioned this earlier, we are living in a relatively season of abundance. I know not all of us are, but collectively as a group, we have more than we've ever had before to deal with the things that God entrusted to us. Um, how are we going to do it? It takes a lot of focus. Um, two weeks ago, Terry Wilson preached. Does anybody, was anybody here two weeks ago when Terry preached? Um, what did God say to the man? He said, oh, I've got a lot. I think I'll just build another barn. What did he say? You fool. Um, what does God want us to do with all this? He wants us to discern best how to use it. Who do we give it to? How much do we spend here? You know, for my own family, the hardest part of discernment of giving is not the tithe. That's, that's a piece of cake. It's how much do I use for myself? How much do I use for my home? How much do I use for other things, for education, for a car? I mean, all those kind of... Same thing true with the church. How are we going to be faithful with that? It takes a lot. And so when things are good, when dreams come true, um, the temptation to sin is greater. And I think that's a challenge. Um, God will discipline us in the midst of this. Um, you know, I, I know this. Um, actually, Ruth's one that told me this because she deals with a lot of land trusts, a lot, a lot of uh, land that's been in trust. What do they say about it? About the third generation of being passing down wealth, faithfulness tends to fall out. Isn't that true here too? You know? And if God has given us things, it takes a lot of responsibility to raise one another up, um, being understanding the gifts God has given us to be, to be shared. Okay? So um, I think that, that's enough for now. Um, let's pray for one another. Um, let's pray for this new season. I invite you to come in and talk to me about what God is doing here. Um, if you're new to the congregation, sit down. Let's just share these things. What is God doing? And I'll also say this. If you're here, this is your church. And God brought you here because he trusts your passions, your desires, and your needs. And let's make sure that we care for one another. Amen? Amen. Amen.